Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Uh, we're in a series about politics, of all things. And we're going to finish that up today because even though the election was last week, politics goes on forever, right? And so we'll finish this up today. Uh, title of the message is Kingdom First. Kingdom First. Now, I'm going to start off with a term. I'm going to ask you how many. I can't see people at home, but people are here. How many of you know what this term means? Fundamental attribution error. How many of you know? Raise your hand. I don't have any here. Maybe some at home, okay? All right, I came across this term. I thought it was pretty interesting, especially what, something we talked about last week. Here's a kind of a definition. It's a bias. It's a bias that happens when we assume a person's actions reflect what kind of person they really are. We judge their character on their actions, which in part it makes sense. Rather than, as we talked about last week, their social and environmental factors. The reason they think the way they do and act the way they do, vote the way they do, is a lot to do with how they were raised and where they were raised. So let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. And this is something we're all guilty of. All right, so somebody you work with is late to work. Or maybe your spouse is late. Somebody's late to church. All right, so they're late, and you come to the conclusion, since they're late, they're lazy, they're irresponsible, they're disorganized. Otherwise, they wouldn't be late, right? Logical conclusion. Now, let me ask you the same question this way. Is that what you think when you're late? When you look in the mirror? I was late today, I'm irresponsible and disorganized and lazy. No, 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 you don't think that at all, do you? You think, no, I, I'm just the opposite. I was diligent. I was helping my kids get ready for school. It made me late. Or I was helping somebody alongside the road that needed help, so that made me late. Um, so that is the fundamental attribution bias, that we judge people and on their, their actions. We judge their character on their actions. Now, this happens all the time in politics. Depending on what side of the aisle you're on, the person on the other side of the aisle, you judge them as, you know, all Republicans are... Uh, whatever, all Democrats or socialists or, or whatever it might be. And so that's the bias that we all get sucked into, especially politically, especially uh, um, the media does that to us, right? It, it sucks us in. Now, you all are better than that. I understand that. You're all mature, empathetic people, and you don't jump to these conclusions about other people. Now, a verse we... Fun- we focused on last week is in Galatians chapter 6. And this helps us not <laughs> have this bias. Uh, Galatians 6. Share or bear or carry each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. So, when somebody's late, rather than making a judgment about it, when you say, hey, you know, I see you're late today, something go on that I can help you with, or whatever. Um, we talked about the three L's. Listen. Hey, you were late today. That's, you know, can, can you tell me what's going on? Uh, learn. Oh, well, you know, your wife was sick and you had help with the kids. Oh, I'm sorry about that. If I could help anyway. Learn. And then love. The loving response, of course, is help carry each other's burdens, correct? I came across another L word, lean in. Volunteer, lean in to try and help. 
Now notice it says this way, we obey the law of Christ. If we don't do this, what are we doing? We're disobeying the law of Christ, which we define as loving one another as God has loved us. So we're disobeying that, and ultimately you could call that sin, right? So on the positive side, when we choose to share someone's burden, what divides us diminishes, and what unites us grows. As we've been saying, uh, church should be a safe place to talk about anything, including politics. Right? It should be a safe place because we are loving each other like Christ has loved the church. Uh, we are united under that banner, if you will, banner of love. So it's a safe place. Um, so here is the challenge to this series. Are you willing? Hard to do, I understand. Are you willing at least to try to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? And this is something we all have to wrestle with. Um, uh, and give you some seminary words. Uh, when we take the Bible as a, <clears throat> as a preacher, teacher, whatever, we're supposed to exegete it. Read the scripture and figure out what it means. There's another term, though, eisegesis. We have an idea or thought or belief, and then we try and find a Bible verse to support that belief. So that's sometimes the way we, we, we approach politics. So we need to approach it faith first, or as the title said, we said this morning, kingdom first. Now the problem is most of us think we do that. If I was to ask you, did you do that? You say, yeah, I do that. But the challenge is it, we probably aren't, can't speak to it, each individual, but most of us aren't fully doing this. The problem is, uh, put this on the next screen, we do the world, people around us, culture, society, we treat the world a huge disfavor when we wrap our political ideologies with the teaching of Jesus. Because what do they see first? They see our politics. And then we're trying to attack, attach Jesus to it. No, 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 no. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're welcome to do what you want. But as a Jesus follower, we can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to do that. It's a disfavor to them. We are, that's too strong a way, disappointing or letting God down by not being his representatives in the, in the proper way here on earth. I said last week, uh, Pastor Tony Evans says it this way, Jesus didn't come to take sides. There's no Jesus party. Jesus came to take over. He take over our lives. So as a Jesus follower, I have to follow Jesus first and foremost above everything else. That's to my advantage and everybody else's advantage. I came across this uh, catchy phrase. I thought this helped us remember. <laughs> Jesus is the king. He came to reverse the order of things. And we've been talking about this. He, his, his kingdom is not of this earth. His kingdom is kind of upside down or reversed kingdom from the way things here on, the, on earth operate. From this kingdom, the king serves the, the, the constituency. Of course, Jesus did that by coming to earth, suffering and dying and conquering death for us, his constituency. So he's our example. 
In this kingdom, things are upside down. The ones on top serve the ones below. Now that's, that, that's radical. And we're going to look at a little history again today, and we're going to see how radical that is. So consequently, you and I cannot be first and foremost party people. You can get involved in politics as much as you want, but first and foremost, we cannot be party people. I can't be a Democrat, I can't be a Republican, Green Party, whatever. We must be kingdom people who are willing to influence our parties. Another way of saying this, there's evil in every political platform, every political person, every political party. So if I'm at kingdom first, I've got to call out evil, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican in that party, that candidate, whatever. I have to. Because my my allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom. Again, this is for our benefit, but mostly it's for others' benefit. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. See, how did the early church change the world? Did you ever think about that? How did this early church, stuck between the empire and the temple, how in the world did they have any influence, much less change the world? I'm going to use a term here. It was through culturally disruptive unity. All right. They disrupted culture in a radical way with this upside-down kingdom, but within a uh, supernatural unity, if you will, that was uh, disturbing to the culture, and they ultimately considered it dangerous to the culture. Christianity became illegal in the Roman Empire. So what was so uh, disruptive uh, unity. What was, it, what was this just uh, uncomfortable for the culture in Jesus' day after Jesus? Well, classes the people whose circles rarely overlapped. Now, you could be a master with a slave. You, you know, periodically interacted with them, but you didn't socialize with them. Came together voluntarily, nobody forced it, and regularly to worship the crucified Jesus. Now, again, we didn't live in the first century. Uh, This was just crazy to most people. Why would a, and we're going to look at a, a scripture verse that Paul delineates between these two cultural opposites, how they uh, interacted together. How could rich people and poor people Different ethnicities, different education levels, different uh, financial, all, all, all aspects of society. How in the world would they voluntarily come together and regularly worship a crucified Jesus? It was, they were baffled. This was so countercultural, it was uh, mind blowing. They, they, they couldn't figure it out, it didn't make any sense. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul addresses this specifically. So we're going to dig into this verse a little bit. He says this way first. There's no Jew or Greek. Now, whether you're, especially if you're a Jew, you're thinking, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? So I came across something. 
as I was looking at this verse, why did Paul use these three categories of people? Well, here's the reason. Some Jewish men back in Paul's day, when they got up in the morning, this would be their prayer. God, thank you that I'm a Jew, not a Gentile, that I'm free, not a slave, and that I'm a male and not a female. They would pray this prayer first thing in the morning. So, Paul is going to address those three categories in this one little verse. <clears throat> he says, okay, that division's over. I know in the physical world, it seems, you know, there's Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody that's not a Jew, uh, which most of us would fit into that category. So, yeah, there's that, I guess you would call, ethnicity issue. But in this kingdom, we would say at the foot of the cross, whatever term you want to use, there is no Jew and Gentile. What is he saying? Doesn't matter. God sees you the same. God treats you the same. And we should treat each other the same. He's saying we're all sinners. Jews, Gentile. We're all sinners needing to be saved by grace of Jesus Christ. So we're all on equal foot. So that was the first category. The second category, again, this is hard for us to comprehend because we don't have slaves. But he said, there's no longer slaves or free. Well, yeah, yeah, there is. I have slaves. Or, you know, there's slaves all over our, in our culture. It's just obvious. We talked about that last week. It's just obvious in their culture. Some people are meant to be rulers and some people are meant to be slaves. So this idea was so disruptive to the social order. You can see how it would be disruptive. And something we don't understand is this. This wasn't a racial slave-free thing. In that culture, Jesus' day, anybody was a potential slave. You, you were late on your house payment? Guess what happened to you? You come up, become a slave to the person that owns the house until you can pay it. So this, anybody could potentially be a slave. And Paul's saying, not in God's kingdom. <laughs> Technically, everybody's free, right? But then we're all slaves, too. We're slaves to Jesus. And then this third one, this would have been really disruptive in that culture, in that society, first century. There's neither or no longer male or female. Especially if you're a male, obviously. You mean to tell me I'm supposed, we're supposed to treat women with the same dignity as men? We, we all know they're not equal to us. They're not as smart as us. They're not as strong as us, whatever. And other places, Paul would write, men, you've got to be careful how you treat women. In fact, it may hinder your prayers, etc., etc. This was big. This was huge. And he's also saying, these women are your daughters or sisters. These are your sisters in God's kingdom, these aren't just this lower class of, of humanity that we call females. And if you're a woman and you're not a Jesus follower, Jesus did more to liberate women than anybody's ever lived. For no other reason you should consider Christianity for that reason. And then he sums it up with this phrase. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What? You mean, 
those, those Greek people, they eat weird stuff and they do weird stuff. And the Greek people think those Jewish people eat weird stuff and do weird stuff and have these, all these goofy laws and, and so forth. We're all one? Yeah. Yeah, you're all one. And on top of that, those of us that are in the kingdom should seek out those outside the kingdom. <laughs> Invite them in to let them know. There's no hierarchies in God's kingdom. There's nobody more important or less important. Summarize it there. There's a new king in town. And in this kingdom, we're all, he sees us all the same. And we are to see each other all the same. So this is, a, this is just not a tweak on society, is it? <laughs> this is a whole new paradigm. There's a whole new way of doing things and thinking about things and thinking about people. And uh, Jesus foreshadowed this. In Luke chapter 16, he's talking to some religious leaders, some Pharisees, and he makes this comment in Luke 16, 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guide. Yeah, 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 that was our, that was our religion. That's our church. That's our Bible. That was your guide. But now... Okay, but, that means something's happened, something's changing. But now the good news of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of the United States, it's not about earthly kingdoms. It is preached, and notice this, everyone is eager to get in. It was attractive, especially if you're what? A Gentile, a slave, or a woman, right? But it's attracted everybody. Because you're not, you know, continually failing trying to keep the law. Now it's through acceptance of God's grace. And people's eyes were opened. Now I told you we're going to get a little bit of history. So, church gets started. Before long, it's disrupting culture and society. Eventually, about 100 A.D., 65 years or so after Jesus, it's illegal to be a Christian. And the emperor's making edicts that you, you know, we've got to arrest Christians, we've got to stop them from being, really not stop them from being Christian, we, but we need to make sure they have, a, first and foremost, allegiance to Rome. Because the Roman gods are angry, because there's some, this was their evaluation, interpretation, what's going on. The, the, the gods are angry because everybody's not worshiping uh, the emperor. And we've got to stop this, stop this, and Consequently, we've got to stop Christianity. And so they wanted to force Christians to give allegiance to Rome. Of course, they weren't going to do that. So there's this guy who is a, a governor in present-day Turkey. <clears throat> and uh, he said he didn't even realize that these Christians were causing problems. So he, he, he wrote a letter, which is preserved till today, which is amazing. His name is Flinny the Younger, by the way. He said, I want to find out. I want to discover what, what, what commotion these Christians are causing. And so here's an excerpt from that letter he wrote to the emperor. Um, he said this, The sum and substance of their fault or error, the speaking of Jesus followers, has been that they're accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn, and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as God. 
Okay, so they didn't have a Sunday to worship. And so when are they going to worship? So maybe it was on Sunday. Early in the morning, before dawn, before they had to go to work, they would gather for worship. So let me ask you a simple question. If we had worship, say, at 5.30 on Monday morning, how many of you would show up? Because that's the, what they were doing. All right? Now, why were they singing? Well, first and foremost, most of them couldn't read, if they even had a, something to read. They didn't have a Bible. It was hundreds of years later before they had a Bible. They might have had some excerpt from something Paul wrote or Jesus said. Um, so they sang, and that was the way they learned their theology, and that's how they remembered their theology. So when we sing, or you listen to people singing, remember that. That's the way we can worship God. That's the way we can develop our theology uh, and remember. So they would do this in response of readings. This was, this was the, their worship in the early church. So this, this is the fault he found. <laughs> Emperor, here's the fault I found. These people, you know, do this goofy thing at early on Sunday morning. And then he goes on. Well, this must be the problem. They bind themselves by oath. Okay, so they must be making an oath to rebel. They're making this oath to, you know, overthrow the government. They're making this oath to, uh, you know, disrupt society. But that's not what they were doing. Here's what he discovered. Again, this was a Roman governor in modern-day Turkey. In about 100 A.D. They didn't make an oath to, buy, to, to commit some crime. He was what their oath was to. They can not to commit fraud. All right? So I'm not going to fraud anybody. I'm not going to... Next word is theft. I'm not going to steal from anybody. I'm not going to defraud anybody. I'm going to not commit adultery. Not relevant to Greek and Roman culture, but to them it was not to falsify their trust nor to refuse to return a trust if I owed somebody something, I'm going to pay it. Called upon to do so. All right, here's what they made the oath do. Does that sound dangerous to you? Does it sound dangerous to culture and society? Now, one thing you need to understand, uh, pagan religions had no moral component. Um, there were some relig uh, cultural laws, uh, legal laws, but we talked about this some last week. There was no morality in, in Greek and Roman uh, religion. Uh, you didn't have to be faithful to your spouse. We talked about they just left children you know, on the side of the road if they didn't want them. Perfectly okay in their religion. But these Jesus followers, they're making an oath, I'm not going to let anybody down. I'm not going to cheat anybody. I'm going to follow through on any promise I make. I'm going to fulfill that promise. And so <laughs> this emperor's thinking, am I supposed to persecute these people? Now, this upside-down kingdom of God at first seemed appalling to that culture. What? Slaves? Uh, I'm a rich slave owner. I'm supposed to associate with my slave. I'm a man. I'm supposed to treat a woman equal with me. I'm Jewish, and I'm supposed to treat these non-Jewish people the same as me. But when this began to be played out, what happened? It became appealing. 
There was something attractive about it. They would help the sick people instead of letting them die. They would go out and rescue these babies that parents would leave stranded on the side of the road or side of the woods. <clears throat> a um, uh, professor in, in uh, University in Toronto has written this. Christianity achieved the well-nigh impossible. Sounds pretty impossible, doesn't it? Especially when after 300 years became the religion of Rome, much less not persecuted by Rome. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, placing slave and master and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. Almost impossible. How could that happen? Especially 2,000 years ago in that culture. Seems impossible in our culture even today. And the most amazing thing was not only become appealing, it became contagious. It spread and the church grew until, like I said, it became the religion of the Roman Empire in the 4th century. I know your feelings about COVID, but COVID is contagious, right? That's what they tell us. You get it from somebody else. So, as contagious as COVID is, Christianity is more contagious. And it's so amazing because the way the world saw this initially was this way. This was a Nazarene sect. Jesus was a Nazarene, Jewish Nazarene. So, he was a rabbi. So, this Nazarene sect, this little sect of Judaism, who worshipped eventually their crucified rabbi, says, okay, from now on, there's going to be no rich or poor. There's not going to be any more Jew and Gentile. There's not going to be any longer slave or free. There's no longer going to be male or female. The law of Christ is what? Love one another just as I have loved you. Love your enemy and love each other. I put on, on the screen. This cultural, disruptive unity shocked the world. Now, here's my challenge. How do we dare do any less? Please, 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 don't get caught up in political issues, social issues, anything above, only as they flow through your faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. So when you catch yourself saying, how could you support that, that candidate? Or how could you support that platform? Or how could you support that cultural issue? Remember, first and foremost, share each other's burdens in this way. Obey the law of Christ. Love Controls us, compels us, empowers us. In fact, Jesus said, back up a, a minute. By DNA, we can tell if the sample is human or some other animal, right? I'm not a scientist. So Jesus said, Jesus' followers' DNA is your love for one another. 
That's your identifying characteristic. Jesus follower, love one another. Not a Jesus follower, not necessarily. So we finished with these three things last week. Again, listen to people, especially those who don't experience the world the way you do. And we don't usually hang, we usually hang out with people that do. So listen to those people. And consequently learn something from them. Oh, well, that's why you think that way. That's why you believe that way. Be a student, not a critic. They're taking a stand based on where they sat. Their viewpoint came from their upbringing, their environment, etc. This is a way you and I can make this world a better place, especially with the political issues going on. And of course, love. Love as Christ loved us. It's you, whoever that is, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, is more precious to God than, as I said last week, we all have a flawed view. What we got to do? Kingdom first, his kingdom. So as I've been saying this whole series, here's your take home. Disagree politically, that's fine. We're going to disagree about lots of different things. But love unconditionally and pray for unity. Let me pray with you now. Father God, thank you. We thank you with the amazing thing the church was and did with no money, no reputation, no buildings. <laughs> it's just amazing. They just loved like you love us. Oh, what, how much we need to learn that today. And those not inside the church, those who aren't Jesus followers, don't see us that way. And so it's not appealing. God, forgive us. We are your representatives, and we have not represented you well. We thank you that you forgive us, and you can empower us to love this way. And we pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. Uh, today could be the day that you could accept that gift, enter into God's kingdom, be one of his children. He invites you to come. He died for all. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.